people expend a lot of energy and a lot of brain power and a lot of just mental power to take their symptoms and make it look like they're not suffering or struggling. And this is especially salient in women, right? So women are, you know, for who present mostly inattentive, where their symptoms aren't, they're running and bouncing off the wall where everybody else is noticing it, but instead they're inattentive and distractible and they're having a hard time organizing stuff. And so internally they're having difficulty progressing to certain goals that you never would notice because they're spending so much time and energy looking like everything is put together. Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health, broken down in a relatable way and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me, Dr. Sasha Hamdani is a board-certified psychiatrist and ADHD clinical specialist. She completed the Accelerated BAMD program at University of Missouri, Kansas City, and did her psychiatry residency training at University of Arizona, Phoenix, and final year of training at Kansas University. Dr. Hamdani has a robust social media following on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at the Psych Doctor MD, where she breaks down stigmas and provides accessible information about about mental health. She's also the author of Self-Care for People with ADHD and the CEO of Focus Genie, the company behind the mobile app for focus, productivity, and ADHD education. Most recently, she was selected to participate in the Healthcare Leaders in Social Media Roundtable at the White House. Welcome, Dr. Hamdani. Welcome back to another episode of Ben Better. How about you? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and today we have Dr. Sasha Hamdani joining us. Welcome, Dr. Hamdani. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. I read your Cosmopolitan article, the story about when you were in the fourth grade, your childhood experience of basically combining or gathering the classmates and you all stood on your desks to yell something to the teachers. Reading that, I was like, oh, troublesome, disruptive, inconsistently consistent. That was me in child in school. So can you yeah. just take us through that time in your life? You grew up in Santa Barbara, right? Dead. I so I grew up in California all throughout my schooling, even like young school and preschool. Really enjoyed school, but would get bored super easily. And so I was always labeled as like the really social kid and the one who was kind of disruptive because they were talking or they were like getting out of their seat or fidgeting and stuff like that. And then in fourth grade, the wheels kind of fell off because I <laughs> This was so bored. So, so bored. And I, it was a day where there was a substitute teacher and I got all the kids to stand up on their desks and start like chanting at the substitute teacher, which is like, now that I have my own kids, the thought of doing that is like horrifying because I love their teachers so much and I know how much they do. But anyway, so shortly after that, the teachers (laughs) were like, (laughs) okay, you got to do something. And so I was evaluated and and seen at that point and was diagnosed with ADHD. And I was actually started on medication at that time. But again, I 
<laughs> what oh, were you chanting? A- That's what I want to know. I everybody asked me. I truly don't remember. I wish I knew. I do not remember what I was chanting. It was probably something like just, I don't know. Really I really don't know. It wasn't like offensive. I can right. tell you that. I, I don't think that was coming from my brain, but maybe we were making a sound. I don't know. I really don't remember. Right. And how, how old were you? I'm okay. Yeah. That. Maybe fourth grade. So fourth grade, is that like 10? I feel like I always misguess the kids. Oh, yeah. Maybe like 10. Okay. Like nine or 10. Yeah. What did your parents do? So my parents were, keep in mind, like I'm older than probably everybody on the internet right now. I don't need to tell me your age, but I don't, but you were, but you grew up in a time when it wasn't like, I feel like ADHD is so yeah. trendy now. Me too. Where yeah, I no, had to take Ritalin at five. It was not trendy then. No, no, it, it just wasn't talked about a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. And so my parents and my parents are immigrants. They came from Pakistan, uh, super educated people. And, you know, my mom's in the medical community. She's a pediatrician. They were worried about the stigma of ADHD and they were just like, I don't really know how to approach it. So they, they saw the need for me being medicated, but they were like, you know, we don't, we don't really see at that point in time, like that there was a value in talking about exactly what the diagnosis was. So they were like, here's something that's going to help you focus. But I didn't actually know this is, this is ADHD. This is what you're looking at. This is a diagnosis that could potentially continue into adulthood. I didn't know any of that stuff. I was taking my vitamin, happy as a clam. I read that and I was like immediately jealous. I feel like my parents were just like, we're going to tell you everything. And then the doctors are going to tell you everything that's wrong with you. And I felt like it was just this weight on my shoulders where I was like, maybe my parents should have said these were vitamins. And, but, but then I know later when you found out, you felt so betrayed. So like Katie, I go back and forth all the time because I'm like, should they have handled it differently? And I feel like at that time in culture and society, I don't know if I had been a parent during that time, I don't know if I would have handled it any differently. I'd like to think I would, but but maybe not. And I was a really sensitive kid too. And I all, already felt really, really different in my school. Like I was the only person of color and who had that minority complex going on already, even at a young age, I was really aware of that. So I think that they probably felt like they didn't want me to carry anything else. But yeah, so in medical school was really the first time I was by myself because I graduated high school and I went directly into medical school. So like I'd never even even been to a sleepover before. Like I'd never been away from home. Were your parents Um, very strict? Yes. Okay. Yes. Very, very strict. (laughs) Very strict. And like they they were strict, but you know, I feel like they were really good parents for parenting the kid they had because I think they had to be strict because I really, really needed that structure. And the when I left home and I didn't have that structure for the first time, literally the wheels came off because I like I didn't have my medication because I wasn't taking it. I didn't have any formal structure. So it's like I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't going to class. I wasn't doing any of the things that I should have been doing because I just like did not know what was happening. Mm-hmm. I fully thought I had a stroke that first semester. Of <laughs> yeah, I was like, something neurologically is wrong with me. I think something bad has happened in my brain because I can't, I cannot keep it together. And this is such a huge difference. And so I was like, there's something in this Kansas air. It gave me a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> and so take us through, how did you find out, oh, I've been taking Ritalin. This is how I was functioning. Yeah, so. Or whatever oh, you yeah. were. I don't know what, I feel like that's what Yeah, you it was Ritalin. Okay. It was. Um. So I... 
I've gotten a 32% on a neurology exam. Like that, that's like very bad. I did <laughs> so bad very... in school. I'm like, sounds good to me. <laughs> oh my God. It was so bad. So it like what they did back in the day is that they, you would have your student ID number and they would post the scores of the exam. So you would have like these identifiers based on like your number. So people wouldn't know the name of who it was, but okay. you would see your, you would see your scores. And I remember like people walking around and being like, Oh my God, what was this person with a 32 doing? And I was like, Oh yeah, that person moron. And then I was like, you, Oh wait, everyone could see everyone's store scores. Everyone could see everyone's scores, but it was randomized with a number. So you right. didn't, is they didn't know what your number okay, was. So, okay, okay. So everyone was looking like, oh my God, like everybody was like, even the people who weren't doing very well were like 70, 80, and then yeah. you'd have this 132, like what happened? And the reason I got a 32 was I did great on the first page. I did not flip to the second page of the exam. I literally missed all of those questions because I was just like, and like, I, I remember coming out of the test and being like, wow, I finished really early. I must have like aced it. I can't believe people are taking... And I got a ride to that exam and I was like, I can't believe people are taking so long. And when they were talking about like reviewing the questions after the test, I was like, I didn't have any of those questions. And I was like, oh, we must have had different versions of the test. That's what's going through my brain. We must have had different versions of the test. No, I just did not flip over the page. After I got that score and like that, that was like a a killing blow to my semester. They were like, there's no way you're going to pass this class because of that test score like that you can't climb out of this so I went to the professor and I was like you can you can test me again right now like we can do it orally like please I need another chance this is such a stupid mistake and he was like you're either gonna learn from this or you're not and I was like this seems really unfair (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand like this wasn't like a volitional thing or like something I was trying to scam the system or like I feel like I'm being punished for so I call my parents I'm like hysterical because I'm like this is like this is egregious you had always what? done very well in school. Yeah. I just want to prep, right? You would always kind of Oh, yeah. Everything. I was a smart kid in my high school. And I didn't have to try very hard. Like, I, was, I really just enjoyed it. And so I went from being one of the higher achievement kids to, like, entering med school and being, like, 32%. Like, the lowest of the... I was the bottom of my... So, I, I like, I talked to my parents and they were like, well, are you taking your vitamin? And I was like, I literally do not even know where that bottle is. I don't know where that is. I but don't you know brought it with you. You I'm brought assuming. it. <laughs> <laughs> they moved me in. So I'm assuming they right, had that. Right. So that, you know, I was like, I truly do not even know where that is. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, you need it. And I was like, well, like, why should that make such a difference? And they're like, you have ADHD. This is the medication you've been taking. And I remember sitting, like, I was sitting on my, on my bed in the dorms. And I was like, there's no way. Like, because there was a kid who supposedly had ADHD when I was in middle school and he was like off the wall. So (laughs) yeah, probably like me. Yeah. Just bananas. Yeah. Running around, like screaming, just very disinhibited. Like you could not keep tabs on this guy. He was just all over the map and like very high clinical severity. And I was like, there's no, I'm not even in the same ballpark. I mean, this kid could barely get through school and I was doing so well in school. He probably needed medicine. <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. And you know what? I probably would have been that kid if I hadn't been on medicine when I was on that. So I, I remember being like, this isn't me. I, I don't know what I've been taking this whole time. I felt very 
betrayed by all of it. And so like trying to, I, I just rebelled against the diagnosis. I'm like, there's no way I don't need medication. I don't. And so like, I was trying to limp through the semester and like, I, it was just so impossible. So, cause already I had built such a deep hole for myself, dug such a deep hole. I, I just was like, okay, this isn't, how are we going to progress from here? Because I'm trying as hard as I can and I'm still making these like errors. And it's so like my peers, they're not having these same problems. So then it became a process of like me figuring out like, do I need to be on medication? What And like, it was just so demoralizing. And my parents actually were like, you know what? You're not going to make it this way. Right. So why don't you just come home? And if it's going to be a question of you leaving school or not leaving school, it, my grades were that bad that I was like on academic probation. It was yeah. terrible. So they're like, don't worry. Like either you're going to get kicked out or you're not. Why don't you come home and let's talk about this? And my dad spent a week and all we did was like research ADHD. We looked into what the brain was doing. We looked into what medications were. We looked at what was like, and he's like, all the best thing you can do at this point is like understand how your brain works. And so that's all we did. And by the end of it, I was like, yep, I have ADHD. I can tell you that with certainty. And then it became a process of like figuring out what meds are helpful for me, what behavioral modifications are helpful for me. And then it was just very much a learning process. Right. And then did you, how long did it take you after that time with your dad to then figure out, did Ritalin work again for you or no? Yeah. So that was the first thing I tried again. And like, it, it didn't work well for me to say, I think my body had changed significantly. And also my needs were pretty significantly different. But I just like, stopped eating. So I knew that I had, to, it wasn't like I was purposely trying not to eat. Like right. I, I just wasn't hungry. I wasn't hungry at all. And I like, I dropped down pretty significantly to like 93, 94 pounds. Oh and I'm like five, eight. So my mom was like so worried. She flew out and she, you know, she was like literally feeding me through this. And it just like, it was the medication because on days where I wasn't eating medication, I was fine. Like I was eating beautifully. So then it was like, okay, well, let's try to do something else. And then some of them were making me really like, I wasn't sleeping well. Some of them were like, I just was so emotional. Like I'd get so angry at the smallest things. So it took me a long time to kind of figure out. And some of them would give me little pockets of like peace where I'd be like, things are working. And then something would change. So, I mean, it just, it it was very, it was a really chaotic and difficult time. And I felt like all throughout medical school, I was digging myself out of a hole. It was hard. It is crazy the way medicine, like I went off Zoloft and Wellbutrin at one point. And then when I went back on it, well, we made my boobs grow like two cup sizes where like normally it makes you look, you know, it's crazy. how yeah. I think women, especially like hormones. And then suddenly I know yes. it's very frustrating for a lot of people. Certain medicine just doesn't work for you anymore, but you've got to sort of keep on the journey of trying to find something, you know, because I think yeah. especially with working with the right doctor, you can find what works for you. Yeah. So it's, it's hard. Part of that journey is I think why it was so difficult for me is because I was still kind of learning what my body was doing. Like I, it was hard for me to understand my own internal environment. So I didn't really know, like I didn't know what my normal sleep schedule looked like. I didn't know what my normal eating schedule looked like. So every day I felt like I was reinventing the wheel and like changing variables, but didn't know what was at it. It took me up until I was quite literally out of medical school in psychiatry residency. I was surrounded by psychiatrists and therapists. And then I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You guys figure it out. And that's <laughs> you what felt like you didn't get like. back on track till then. 
No, I was not back off track. Wow. All throughout the entirety of medical school, I think I was just in survival mode. I mean, it was just this right. incredibly traumatizing and trying time. Not, not just, just for me, but I feel like I, I just, just medical it, it could have been, but I feel like, you know, a lot of my peers at that time, their lives were stabilizing. They were fighting their significant others. They were growing and developing. And I was just like this chaotic tornado throughout. And I didn't actually like get to take a deep breath until I was like removed from that situation. I was in residency. When I was in residency, I was like actually doing stuff I like doing. I was, I was, I knew that I was selected into this program because they even seeing all of those struggles in medical school, they still wanted me there. So I felt like I was in a good, safe place. I was in a small class, not a huge class. It wasn't as highly competitive as my medical school. And like the most important thing is like, so, so I, I did residency at Banner Good Samaritan, which is now University of Arizona in Phoenix. I mean, this group of people that led me through this journey I mean, they, I've never heard of anything like it. They were so incredibly supportive and like nurturing. And they, I felt like they just rebuilt all my pieces together. That's so great. So that yeah, always, and is that how, so from this, is, is that why you decided, I'm assuming, to, to basically become an ADHD expert? Like that's your focus of your, I mean, I know there's quite a few different things that you, Betty, there's- I like, mean, I feel like I talk about ADHD a lot. I don't know what, what qualifies as an expert at all, but like, I feel like I have ADHD. And so well, I, have, I have that personal kind of background on, and I've spent such a significant portion of time learning about that, both from the psychiatric perspective and the psychological perspective of the impacts on that, that I feel like I have a natural interest towards it because a lot of this journey has been figuring out my own brain. And so I'm taking some of that knowledge and, and using that clinically to help other people. So I think that's really where it's coming from. Yeah, I had this natural interest because I wanted to know what was happening with me. Yeah, I think you could call yourself an expert. You have <laughs> medical degrees in it. And, and like you said, having it. So you didn't feel, at first, did you feel betrayed that your parents didn't tell you what you were taking? Yeah, I did. I mean, again, so if I went back in time and I looked at that moment, yes, absolutely. In that moment, I felt like I was... I was just taking something and I didn't understand what I was taking. And I, I was just like, right. I remember telling my, my, my poor mom, who is fully an angel of a woman, like this, this woman is like about as opposite of me as you, she is quiet and sweet and gentle and just like very, she's just a blessing. And I was so mean to her. And I was just like, I expected you to keep me safe. And this is what you guys were doing. I, I looked at her face and I knew, I knew even when I was saying that, that she was trying to keep me safe. And this is what she knew. This is how she felt that she could do so. But as I've gotten older and as I've understood how ADHD has evolved, it's taken me a while to explain that even to my own patients and find a way to brace that in a way that it's not going to just hamper them moving forward. Mm -hmm. I feel like that was probably a really hard spot for them to be in. Yeah. So I don't, I don't feel that way anymore. Well, that's, that's good. I was reading your book and I, yeah. it was so interesting. No, but I think it's really helpful also because it's, it's so written for someone with ADHD where it's like these two page little sections. There's basically a hundred yes. self-care tips. And can you talk a little about, I find the masking thing so interesting. And I think it's really crucial with someone that has ADHD. And I feel like people don't talk about it enough. Yeah. I mean, backing up to what masking is. So yes. masking, yes. masking is either the intentional or unintentional camouflaging of symptoms 
to blend in better to society. So, so how that plays a role in ADHD is that people expend a lot of energy and a lot of brain power and a lot of just mental power to take their symptoms and make it look like they're not suffering or struggling. And this is especially salient in women, right? So women are, go- you know, for who present mostly inattentive, where their symptoms aren't, they're running and bouncing off the wall where everybody else is noticing it, but instead they're inattentive and distractible and they're having a hard time organizing stuff. And so internally they're having difficulty progressing through certain goals, which you never would notice because they're spending so much time and energy looking like everything is put together. Right. So I think that it's an important concept to note because where it becomes especially relevant is diagnostic thing. Women get diagnosed far later than men because um, primarily they're inattentive. But a lot of times they will get turned away from um, an ADHD presumptive diagnosis because they're like, well, it doesn't look like a problem. Right. You right. Do, you don't look like you're being impaired by this when really they're working so much harder than maybe their peers are working. Yeah. No, that's interesting because I was diagnosed with ADHD at five years old. And then I remember, you know, all through high school and college, I took ADHD medicine. Then I had this psychiatrist in New York who was like, you don't have ADHD. You can learn those lines because I also am, have OCD, which is kind of rare, but like to the extreme where if you saw me, yes, like I'm so organized and so, but it takes me staying on my routine, knowing what I have to eat. Like it takes work and it's also taken like 20 years to get here. Right. So that's so interesting that women are always receive a later diagnosis because while they just Mm -hmm. think men are being like hyper or boys, boys being boys. Most of the time men, men can, um, present with the inattentive type, but mostly the things that are bringing attention is within a classroom, the kid that's disruptive, right? Because the teacher is like, this is a problem. We need to deal with this. For inattentive girls that are just kind of daydreaming, they're not interrupting anybody but themselves. Right. So they're they're not being picked up. Right. Right. I was probably more like the boy. Maybe that's why I was it was obvious. That's why I got picked up. I present like a boy. Yeah. If you had to give someone like Obviously, it's hard because you have a hundred tips, but like three things, tips or three things that they should try to do every day if they have ADHD, what would it be? I have, I have, so every day. Okay. I, I mean, I'll stem from the things that I do every single day. And again, it's taken me a long time to kind of whittle this down into something. And it might seem silly, some of these, but that's what I swear by. Number one. Um, just starting from the top part of the day is to make your bed, which is a yes. weird one for no, sure. I think that's good too. But the reason I'm saying that is because, especially when I was in a smaller place, so when I was like in studio apartments and things like that, I if my bed wasn't made, the urge to just get back into bed or to do like to work from I, bed. I just, Yes. And I would have such problems throughout this process of figuring out my ADHD with wakefulness and sleep. So I wouldn't sleep at night. So I'd be excessively sleepy during the day. And so I would just have difficulty. That would be so enticing. I would want to get back into it. If my bed is made, I'm not doing that. Yeah. So that is a good starting point just for like eliminating the risk of that. But then also it's like a small win. I'm starting off my day with a like, oh, 
you feel like you're you're even if the rest of your room is a disaster, you have this nice ocean of calm right in the middle. It's just a good way to start. So that's one thing. The second thing that I say is really, really important for ADHD is hydration. And everybody fights me on this, but your life will get significantly better when you are dehydrated, especially if you're on medication. Mm. If you're dehydrated, your medications, a lot of them dehydrate you in the first place. And so you will be running on fumes. You do not have enough, like your blood pressure is being affected. Your body is going through stress because it's dehydrated. You're not going to be hungry. And so all of those factors impact you. And so it makes it harder for you to, and like energy, right? That's true. I have my water. I always have like cotton mouth from all the medicine. It's just a side effect of most medicines. Water is so important and it's so important for maintaining that energy because with ADHD, everybody thinks it's this like attention deficit. And that's why I don't like the name, but it's a regulation issue because the problem is, is it's not necessarily that you can't focus. It's that you can't regulate what you're focusing on. There's sometimes where you focus excessively on something that you shouldn't be focusing on. There's other where you need to be focusing on something and you can't focus on that. And so it just kind of, or there are times where you're like, I know I have this two hours to focus on something. You can't do it then. Four hours later, you might be totally able to. So yeah. it, it, you're capable of it. It's just how you regulate everything, right. not just focus, but energy and sleep and all emotions. It's just a regulation issue. Yeah. The third tip that I think the most important thing that's helped me specifically with ADHD is giving myself a little bit of grace and patience that comes from understanding the diagnosis. Right. And I think that was the most important thing because I, I, I've carried for such a significant portion of my life, a lot of shame around it. And a lot of like difficult, like, why can't I do what my peers do? Why can't I complete this task? Why are they like, why am I hearing all of these things from other people, like I am a problem, I'm being disruptive, like the issue is with me. And so I think that once I actually took that week and I studied with my dad and I, I understood what ADHD actually was, it took away a lot of that guilt and shame. And I think that's one of the most important things that the diagnostic process can do because then you're like, I have this, this isn't just my brain, this is how we're wired. Right. And so we need to work with, with those constraints. Yeah. I think that's more true than not, like with, especially when you're a young kid. I mean, I know I felt that way, like, oh, what's wrong with me? I'm like an idiot. I can't, I have to take the test untied. You know, it's just, I feel like now, especially in LA, like ADHD and all of these people, I think overly or overly maybe use that word or term when Mm -hmm. it's maybe not accurate or they think it doesn't exist. You're totally right. We, it's one or the other, right? It's so polarizing. Either people are just like, everybody has ADHD or nobody has ADHD. And it's just like, there's no, there's a very clear middle ground here. Right. If, if there's a parent that thinks their kid might have ADHD, what do you think is the best thing they could do? Get evaluated. Just get, go to. I think, so that's my standard response. Right. In terms of like, what do I think the best thing, just because then you don't have to then you, as a parent, you are not making that assessment. You're having a professional look at them, figure out what the next steps you get plugged in the system. Now, that response is in the context of like a very privileged society, right? Because access to care is not available for everybody. And that is a whole separate problem. 
And it's a huge issue in terms of getting good care. And I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't, I have tried to figure it out, but like, you know, as we've seen, like doing these online platforms, there's just such a high risk of like abuse and exploitation on those, like, like those big online conglomerations that were simply for ADHD. So I, there has to be a better way. I just don't know what it is. What is, you mean like an, an online course or something or an online diagnosis? No, yeah, like an online diagnostic, like going through big companies that start to look like pill mills, that they're just right. like, oh, you can go in for a one minute kind yeah. of thing and then you're going to get your pill, you know, like in the mail or something. Yeah. And what was the whole thing of with Prince Harry? They thought he was misdiagnosed with ADHD. Do you know this whole thing? I, I saw a cup and I, I'm probably going to be like misquoting this. I just <laughs> saw like a, one of my friends wrote a piece uh, about this. And apparently Prince Harry was diagnosed, like not diagnosed, but like a psychiatrist was talking to him and said, you, you have this diagnosis because of this. And they felt like that was unethical because okay for one why are you talking about someone's diagnosis in front of like a huge live not live audience but like oh, wait, this was like a live like i don't talk think it was live but okay. it's something to be taped for like yes, that's yes. that's not great and then yeah. number two i think it was problematic because it, it like that's not how a psychiatric assessment goes you're not having yeah. a conversation with someone and you're like mm, this is what it is no you do i wish i'm always i always am like to my doctor i want to know what's wrong with me i want more labels and he's like okay you need to calm down Oh, that's that's strange. That is, I I did not read that book or any of that, but I was like, okay, I don't know. Um, so if someone can't, I guess it's well, you said you don't know the answer. Like, if someone doesn't have like the economic sources or support and think they have ADHD, maybe the best thing they can do is try to find a counselor at school, right? Um, sometimes, Katie, that's not even accessible, right? It, right. it's, it's a problem. And if you're looking at, like, if you further dive down and you start looking into, um, it, like, even broken down by socioeconomic things or minorities, right? you get these huge discrepancies. And so within that, and I'm not even talking about ADHD now, I, I'm talking about mental health in general. Right. There's this huge disparity between how much of that is accessible to certain populations. If you don't have those traditional access to care or, you know, a lot of people just have poor medical literacy. They don't know how to get through that system. And it's hard, even knowing the medical system, it's hard to get through. So there are a lot of barriers to care. But if you're not going through like a traditional diagnosis or things like that, what I tell people to do is you can never learn enough about your brain. Yeah. Learn about your brain. Learn about if you find like, things are resonating with you, then look, you don't necessarily need to try to treat yourself, but you need to look at things like, okay, for a lot of my patients are like, I think I have ADHD. So what I did is I, I went and I started to look at behavioral ways that I can manage my ADHD. What do I need to do in terms of sleep? What do I need to do in terms of eating? What do I need? Are there certain things I should be eating more of or less of? Are there certain exercises that can help me? learning and you know and that's part of the reason behind the book i wrote there are certain things like you're saying to educate yourself yeah. and if something's resonating with you listen to the podcast listen to you on social or you know and just learn because then you i feel like you can learn tips right and i think that so uh, for someone who has gone through the gamut of like the diagnostic process and like 
I've been on medications. I've been off of medications. I've been uh, doing behavioral techniques. I think when I got, so currently I don't take any sort of ADHD medication. Okay. Um, Why is that? Or can I, if you don't mind me asking, you know, I, I'm just curious. Yeah. So I, when I got on residency again, it was like an intensive program for me because I did so much behavioral work every single day. I was working with people to, to help that. And I was on medication at that time. When I got out of residency and after I took my licensing exams and things like that, pretty quickly after I was trying to get pregnant. And so I was like, okay, well, I I don't want to necessarily, and some people are on medication during that. I was already toying with the idea of being off medication Mm -hmm. or trying to wean. And so I'm like, this might be a good time if I'm trying to get pregnant, uh, I'll try to wean at that point. And then since that time, I had a couple of back-to-back pregnancies. And then since that time, I haven't been back on medication because I just feel like the behavioral stuff has been enough to sustain me. And again, I don't, honestly, this isn't a plug to do behavioral stuff either. Like whatever works for you. Yeah. If I need to be on medication in the future, I will be. And and so I, I, I don't have like judgment or feel bad about that, but I feel like I think it's really, really important that people you learn about the behavioral stuff because if they ever do want to be off of medication or especially in light of all of this Adderall shortage, right? like learning those behavioral skills. And that's that, I mean, aside from the bulk, that's, that's what prompted the creation of that Focus Genie app. Mm-hmm. You know, with social media, I feel like I'm, I'm doing as much as I can, but mm-hmm. people don't have an organized spot to get the information and build skills at the same time. And tell us about the app. Like, did that just come to you and you were like, okay, I'm going to do this. I mean, no, like (laughs) I I wanted to do it for a long time. Thank you. So my mom came up with that. I wish I could take credit. Yeah. And I remember hearing, I'm like, that's stupid. And then I was like, no, I love it. So I, when I, I thought about coming out, like initially, even before I wrote the book, I was like, I want to do something that is like social media that people can actually learn and absorb information, but they they can go and have like an ADHD brain tool mm-hmm. in their phone. That's what I want. Because with social media, it's not organized. Like you, like you're at- yeah. Sometimes they can at, make you feel crazy. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And you're yeah. like at the like behest or like you're at the whims of the algorithm, right? You're seeing what the algorithm is picking for you. You can't really organize it in a way that that's really usable. So then I started talking about like, I wish there was something like this. And then I was like, you know, I think I want to make an app. And then I looked into that and I was like, that's too hard. And so then I got my sister involved who does not have ADHD at all. And she was like, you know, that's, and she's involved in like data, um, and data and technology yeah, um, for a yeah. big, yeah, for a big bank. And she was, you know, we started talking about that and she was like, you know, that's a really good idea. And then she was trying to like guide me into yeah. it. And we ended up like talking about things and she guided me into like, well, why don't you just like talk to a development firm? And then I was so excited by that. Then it just like kind of took off. And so yeah. now we're in final stages of development and we're doing performance testing. So we're hoping to have like a good release maybe in the next month or so. That's Uh, so exciting. I know. I've just been, I've been sitting on it for like a month and a half. I just want it to be out yet. I'm so tired of it. A month and a half. That's not that long. That sounds like an ADHD person. Like I know 
It feels like forever. <laughs> That's like, but like, it's so annoying that it's been, I've been working on it for over a year right. and it's, it feels so annoying that I'm right at the tail end and yeah. like performance testing something that I can't fix. Yeah. But you want to get those glitches out because you no one wants to app where it's like, wait, why is this take, you know, not working? Why is this crashing? Yeah. <laughs> no, nobody wants that. You're right. I know. I know that is such an ADHD problem, right? I have this sense of urgency about everything, yeah. but Yes. Why? Actually, I'm just really asking this for myself. Why do ADHD people, I love to make like the impossible list, like of what I have to get done in the day. And then when I don't get it done, I'm like, I'm a failure. Why do we do that? I think it stems from poor prioritization of things, right? Like our brains are just like ADHD at its base. It's your brain is moving too fast. And so you're filtering tons of information if you are getting all of this stuff thrown at you, your best bet for that is to gather all that information and hope you can prioritize it later. So you're just like, let's do that. Throw it on this, throw it on this, throw it on this. And then at the end of the day, the problem is because we have those poor skills at prioritizing, you typically will, or at least for me, what I do is either I'll do the easy ones on the list right. or I'll do the ones that are going to reliably give me the most dopamine. So the most interesting or the enjoyable. And so by the end of it, I've been busy all day long, but I haven't done anything. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. Or uh, like once I was my girlfriend there, she's like, I'm sorry, how are we going to get all this done? Like you literally that we can't even drive there. Like, and I'm like, oh no, 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 we'll, we'll get it done. We're not going to eat. Yeah. You just like, we just no sense. Yeah. So well, that makes sense. And then poor time management as well. So then on top of that, of yeah. overly knowing all this info. Mm-hmm. Ugh, why? This was an interesting, because I think as I related to this, why are people with ADHD more vulnerable to emotional abuse and gaslighting? Yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's for a multitude of reasons. Number one, people with ADHD, like from the get-go, you're dealing with lowered self-esteem, right? You've had just like... People have constantly for years and years and years because of your neurodivergence have kind of put you into a different category. You're used to getting a lot of negative feedback. So that plays a role. So you're already entering relationships or these complicated and the work or the workplace. Sorry to be like, like feeling like, oh, I'm not going to do great, you know? Totally. And so you're entering these um, dynamics with already this lowered sense of self. So that makes you more predisposed for like, okay, if something bad happens to you, you're like, "Mm, okay, I probably deserve that. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that with that, you know, your brain moving as fast as it does, emotional regulation gets skewed. And so you are processing all of this stuff. And a lot of times you're processing based on emotion before you can rationalize it. So you're dealing with like this, this intense emotional load. And there's a concept called rejection sensitivity dysphoria, RSD. So rejection sensitive dysphoria is basically this, if it's a mental phenomenon, but it can, you can also feel it very physically where you have, you have an intense response, emotional or physical, to real or perceived criticism or rejection. So if you feel yes, like- that's me. That's me. Yes. Ding, and ding, it ding. Is, 
so pronounced yeah. that for people that are going into these relationships, sometimes people are going to be putting up with stuff that they should not put up with yes. because they don't want to deal with that conflict. They don't want to deal with their rejection sensitivity because it's so painful to them. Yeah. So with all of those different variables, now you're you're in this perfect soup of just like bombshells to kind of try to avoid. And so that's that's why you're more susceptible to gaslighting and emotional abuse. Yeah, it's a mess. The best. So we always end with five questions. You ready? Sure. Rapid five. Okay. What do you do for a mental break? Okay. So I would have said before social media, but that's... <laughs> I feel like not. that's not part of your job, right? No, that's not a mental... It, that feels like it's more... It's getting to be more like a job. Honestly, I paint. I do oh, a lot of paint. Great. So I do... Um, I, I've been doing acrylic painting. I did oil for a while, but it's too hard to clean up. But like, I like... I like that. I mean, I like that there's a, you know, there's a process in terms of picking out color. There's a process in terms of the brushes and the canvas. And the, I want to make more time for that. But generally, if I if I can feel myself getting stuck into this burnout cycle, yeah. I know reliably that that can get me out of it. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. And number two is when is the last time you cried? Uh, today. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. Some guests are like, oh, like five months ago. And I'm like, oh my God, today. They, I think someone said that they might, this is why I'm calling you off of my phone because oh. they were like, your laptop might be fried and all of my stuff is on there. And I like sunk to my knees and wept. And I was just like, no, I think it's fixed, but I don't know. Okay. What are you currently that? reading? Um, nothing (laughs) that's that's a lie that's a lie I am reading a book and I recently started reading um a book by one of my friends I'm going to be talking with him at a psychiatric conference in a in a couple weeks but he is a nutritional psychiatrist wait is this is this Dr. Ramsey Yes, Drew Ramsey. He's been on here. Mm -mm -mm. I know. I love him. Oh my God. He is such a dreamboat. He's great. Forget about it. And finally, he rides horses. This is basically just us talking about how much we love. No, I like love love him. I started reading through Eat to Beat Depression, that is his new book. And so I was reading through that and I was just like, oh my gosh, I feel, so I'm not, and this is probably like a contentious point, but I'm like, I don't do the cooking in my own house because I just don't have the patience. I thought you were going to say something. No, I don't, like, I don't, I like, I recognize my limitations and cooking brings me no joy. I like, I love eating. I could eat all the times, but I hate cooking. And so I feel like, that reading that book was one of the first, and I like it because it has illustrations and things like that, but it was one of the first times where I'm like, okay, if I'm at a restaurant and I want to feel like I'm getting a boost, like a boost for my mental health, and I have these five or six choices of salads, it's changed what I've decided to eat. Yes. Usually I was like, I'm not going to eat kale. That's disgusting. It's so bitter. But now I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm doing something that's bettering my mental health. So I'll give it a try. And I've actually exposed myself to stuff where I'm like, that's actually really good. Yeah. You put a chickpea in there, I'll eat it. Like, I will eat it. No, that book is really good. And it it is really cool. And it it does just sort of underline what we all know, but we're all kind of like, ugh, whatever, that your diet does affect your mood, you know? I know. It's, what is the best and worst advice you've been given? About ADHD or just like in life? In life. You know, like sometimes the best advice can be the worst advice. The worst advice I got 
was when I was in medical school. So I had this educational team coordinator who was supposed to like usher me through school and help like encourage me and help me find my path. And I did really bad after like an assessment. And he was like, you know what? This, uh, this isn't for you. That's fine. And he's like, God put you here for a reason so you can find your husband. And I was like, ew. Ew. I hope he's not in the education field anymore. I don't know where he is. I was like, no. Um, So that, I mean, but that was like the worst piece of advice I've ever gotten because I'm like, okay, mental note. If you ever have a daughter, don't say that. But it was also the best. Like I was so like, I handled that moment poorly because I like, I think about it. That's infuriating. No, I handled the moment poorly, honestly. And I'm ashamed to say this because I didn't do anything. I should have been really upset in the moment, but I was like so embarrassed when it happened that I couldn't. Sometimes when someone says something that idiotic to you, I think sometimes you're just in shock. And then when you leave, you know, but I don't like that's what I should. I should have been because I remember calling my dad and telling him that. And my dad was like psychotically angry and I was like yeah. oh that's probably how I should have been but I, w- I was like so embarrassed when it was happening and I remember being in that moment and being like just don't cry in front of him don't cry yeah. and so that's what I was focusing on but like I like thinking back to that I think it motivated me more he didn't mean for it to motivate me but it motivated me more because I was like I just have to get out of here like right. I can't be I can't have that conversation with him again I can never go back to being in that room and talking with him about this right. where you're like trying to like potentially give me options of suitors that are in my class. Get out of here. Horrible. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. I once had a teacher tell me in high school, like you have so much aggression. The only profession you're going to succeed at is being a wrestler, a female wrestler. I don't really know what to do with that. Yeah, like people say the craziest shit to teens and kids and adults, but I just am like, wow, what great, but it kind of did the same thing where I was like, whatever, bitch, like out of my way, you know, like just, she didn't know obviously how to deal with someone like me. I know. And I think that for a long time, that statement really, like that whole encounter paralyzed me. Like it didn't make me move forward. Right. Uh, So maybe it wasn't the best. I mean, that was for sure the worst advice. Best advice, I don't know, best advice was probably... Someone told me one time to just, when you're having, like, if you're in a, a especially happy moment or something like that, mm-hmm. and this was recent, someone told me that because I oh. feel like I'm guilty of this. Don't try to document the moment. Just try to experience and be present in the moment. Cause like the minute something good happens or like, I, I'm just like in this mindset and it's disgusting and I shouldn't be. If I'm like, is this Instagram worthy? Let me put this on Instagram. Let me take pictures. Let me look as good as I can. And it completely detracts from how happy and blissful and perfect that moment is. So yeah. now if I truly feel like this is something so wonderful, I like make a conscious effort to put away my phone and just fully a- immerse and experience it. And then sometimes what I'll do is like, if I'm worried, I won't remember after the moment has passed, I try to write down everything because then it's cool to look at afterwards and be like, oh my God, this is what was happening. Yeah. That's really good advice. That's perfect. The last question is what Instagram account do you find uplifting? <laughs> so as we all know, Instagram can be very toxic and Totally. Social and are there certain accounts you find uplifting? Um, there is one that I love. It's called Self Care is for Everyone. Okay. And I have loved it because, and like, it is just like this community page 
where people, they talk about anxiety, they talk about OCD, they talk about ADHD, and it's just very normalizing and stigma-free and and a judgment-free community. And like, it's just nice because sometimes when you go onto like bigger accounts or things like that, you know, the comment sections are kind of a train wreck. This, I feel like my comment section and this comment section, the community that was built there is so positive. That's so true. Your positive. are all very positive. It's so nice. God, Everybody is so nice. People are. Everybody. Yeah. Well, I know. And that's why I kept up with it because like the minute I get, get a bad comment or something like that, I think about that for days and then I won't post anything. And so the fact I've been able to continue, I know it's just, it's not that easy. I don't like, I think about, I dwell on it forever. I'm sure like, I I want people to have free speech. And then I'm like, no, I don't. It's my page. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, no, bye. So I'm going to ask you where our listeners can find you. I mean, people can find me at the site, Dr. MD. I'm on TikTok and I'm on Instagram. YouTube is Psych Dr. MD. Book is on, my book is everywhere. It's on Amazon and Barnes Noble and Target, all of those places. It's called Self-Care for People with ADHD. And then the app is coming out, Focus Genie. And that I'm so excited about that. And that'll come out like the next month. All right. Well, that's all. That's all we have. Well, this was so fun. Yeah, thank you so much. I can't wait until your app comes out. I know, I'm really excited. Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better. How about you? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24-7.